Hi, this is Ellie Kushner with Dance Well Podcast, and today I'm talking to Alexandra Beller, and we're talking about somatics, a big, complicated, important concept. So Alexandra Bella is a dancer, a teacher, a choreographer, and she's also a certified movement analyst. She danced for many years with Bill T. Jones, Arnie Zane, and for over 15 years she's had her own company, Alexandra Beller Dances. She's presented work all around the world, and she's also a really well-loved teacher in the New York City area. You might know Alexandra Beller's process in the studio um, if you saw a viral video of her little baby in the studio with her dancers, where he was doing some beautiful movement and the dancers were replicating it. It went viral. I saw it going to Poland and all over. <laughs> so um, you can learn more about Alexandra. Her bio is available on her website and you can find a link to her website on our website, which is dancewellpodcast.com. So Alexandra, hello. Hello. Um, the first thing I'm going to ask you is if you could just tell us about um, the somatic work that you do and how you came to be doing it. Uh, I mean, I think that somatics is uh, a really big word or a really big concept, and it can uh, incorporate any type of work. So I don't think of somatic work as a certain kind of class or a certain particular practice that I do. I think of somatics as a way of, um, as kind of a belief system about the way that the body works and the way that we exist as human beings. Um, basically for me, somatics is just being aware of yourself. So I hope that I do a certain amount of somatic parenting and I hope that even when I'm teaching, um, you know, a technique class that's a straight up dance, dance class, that it is a somatics class. However, I do think that um, tuning in at a slower rate uh, with more focus on the relationship between the body and the mind is something that's really useful for people. And a lot of times in a straight up dance class, whether I'm making invitations towards somatic awareness or not, dancers are not able to function that way when there's so much going on. There's material to learn and vocabulary to learn and other it's people in the room. And, yes, yeah. and other people to deal with and your own storytelling about your dancing and your place in the dance world. Dance classes are complicated. Yeah. So while I do feel like I make probably a similar number of invitations to dancers in a dance dance class to become somatically enlivened, I think that they often find it easier to do that practice in a class that's like labeled somatics and there's a lot less going on. So in that sense, I teach something called Bartania Fundamentals. Um, there are people that would not label that a somatics class. It would be more like, oh, that's like physical therapy or uh, like a rehabilitation practice. It's very biomechanical. It's fairly scientific, anatomical work. Um, however, Ermgard Bartenioff, um, was very much about the, um, idea of initiating, uh, functionality in the mind. Um, it was a lot less ethereal than a lot of somatic practices where there's not a ton of action that happens in the, like, joint action, like, 
physical action in Movement. the body. Yeah. yeah. You know, you do something like Alexander Technique or Feldenkrais, even BMC sometimes. A lot of it, it starts and ends in the the nervous system, the mind, the like shell of the body doesn't move a ton. Bartonia Fundamentals, it's a fairly almost athletic practice. Okay. Not cardiovascular for, per se, but um, you're doing a lot of like straight up movement and practicing the simplicity of basic joint action and biomechanics. However, how you initiate that movement is all from like functionality and simplicity of the mind-body connection. So she was a very pragmatic, practical teacher. It's all about function. Um, but the, but a like mother load of function is how the mind affects the body. So you said so many things there. And I want to, um, first of all, clarify. So when you talk about a dance class mm-hmm. versus a somatics class, mm-hmm. for somebody who doesn't know anything about somatics, what does one look like versus the other? I mean, a dance class, I think probably we know what it is, right? right? Although I will say that I always will start a dance class with a meditation, laying on the floor, getting to know the body, starting pretty small, um, really building from inner awareness out. So I certainly don't start a dance class with a five, six, seven, eight, follow me and do what I do. Uh Um, Dance class for me, no matter how like athletic and vigorous and wild music and crazy locomotive, you know, big choreography we end up with, we'll always start with a tuning in. Um, A somatics class is never going to get to a dance phrase. Uh, We're probably not going to put music on. I mean, you know, it depends. Uh, I also really like to follow the flow of what's happening and occasionally something's happening that feels like we're headed into some kind of creative territory and we're going to kind of put these ideas together in some kind of improvisational score and I'm even going to put music on, right? Right. But that's rare. I think what happens uh, in most of my somatics classes is we'll start the same way. I start a dance class. We're going to lay on the floor. We're going to tune in. We're going to meditate. Uh, with some prompts from me. What are some prompts that you might um, give? So you're laying in constructive rest, feet on the floor, knees in the air, um, eyes closed, and I'm going to start talking to you about sensing different specific parts in your body and their connections to one another. So I might say feel the feet in the floor um, and then feel the, the relationship between the feet and the floor and the back of the pelvis and see if we can feel let's call that four objects, two pelvic halves and two feet, and feel that kind of square of energy. And then I might say, let's add in an awareness of the shoulder girdle and feel all, let's call that six objects. And then I might add the two skull halves. And let's see if we can really tune into all eight of those objects and their relationship to the floor. And then as we're doing that, let's see if we can notice if the body is asking for anything right now. Is there a little bit of tension? Do we need a shift? Did something unwind that allows your pelvis to take a little shift in space, right, and unwind? Um, so that might be something that I might start with in both my classes, but I would probably stay with it for a little bit longer in a somatics class. And then in a somatics class, you know, with Bartania Fundamentals, then I might just talk about, like, 
the tiniest little weight shift of your pelvis so that you could bear down on one foot and just float the other foot off the ground and just feel what that means to the foot and the pelvis and then put that foot back on the ground and regain center and just weight shift just enough to the other side so that you could press down on that foot and float the other one off an inch, you know, and then build on that and build on that until we're really feeling like what is required to weight shift while I'm laying on the ground just enough to lift a leg off the ground, which is something that we do, we take it for granted, right, in a dance class, we just lift your leg, lift your leg, right, except that I'll lift my leg and I'll be twerking my pelvis a little bit and then my head will be compensating and my ribs will be compensating and then I have a headache later that day and I don't know why and I think I'm just stressed, you know, there's a Great. whole kind of cycle of things that happen when we're a little bit out of tune or not quite aware so a somatics class is a place to practice just what feels like the simplest things that are, of course, as we know, the most complicated things, right? So if I'm just practicing like what is required to really functionally, beautifully shift weight enough to float a leg off the ground, and I may notice like, oh, I've got this habit where my rib kind of you know, ginches up and I slightly turn my chin and my shoulders are slightly pulling off the, what if I didn't do that? What, how could I stabilize in order to find that mobility? And just that really deep noticing your functionality is what Bartania Fundamentals is about. But then of course it definitely gets bigger. We'll be doing, you know, much larger movement patterns and sometimes gets into, you know, you might peek into my Bartenev class after 45 minutes and it would look a little bit like a dance phrase. You know, we'd be doing, you know, some rolling and sliding and pushing and pulling on the floor, things that you might do at the beginning of a dance class, but we've taken almost an hour to get, like, that's the high point. That's right. not the warm-up. It's also, like, to me, in some ways, that's like having to apply endurance of this kind of focus. So the first yes. thing that you described is this, um, basically you describe somatics as being aware of yourself and these exercises that you're describing about shifting weight and stuff have to do with, um, this somatically enlivened self. Right. And like, for example, I have this thing going on in my hamstring right now and it's like up near my pelvis and it's irritable. And I've noticed if I can just shift my focus to think about the part of my hamstring in the back of my leg that's closer to my knee and sort of like get a vision of that whole big muscle, the pain goes away and it's just gone. It's, it's gone. And I mean, part of that might be, we don't know neurologically, like part of that is a gait thing. We like, we're changing our focus and that alone reduces pain, but it's also like we're increasing functionality, right? We're mm -hmm. getting back to how that muscle should be working. However, I can only think about that when I'm like walking by myself, right. not carrying a lot of stuff, <laughs> yeah. yes. not thinking about where I need to be later today, not schlepping another person, you know, right. which is why it's hard to think about these things in a traditional dance class, right? Right. Because there's a lot of other stuff that needs to be attended to. And I've got to learn counts and I've got to make sure I don't hit anybody. I'm moving wildly across the floor. There's music to deal with. There, there are steps that I just learned et cetera, et cetera, even if we're the most like functional and uh, experienced dancer, there's a lot happening in a dance class where it, you know, kind of precludes the amount of attention we can pay to a simple weight shift. Right. Um, so I feel like a slowing down 
to be able to tune in, to be able to find our most functional movement selves. And a lot of Bartania Fundamentals is about stability and mobility, the mm-hmm. lemnus gator relationship between stability and mobility. Can you talk more about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there are four themes in Laban. Stability mobility is one of them. Inner, outer, function, expression, and exertion recuperation. And these things sound like binaries, but actually what they are is more like uh, a Mobius band, which is like a three-dimensional infinity sign. Okay. So if you took a Mobius band, which is like, you know, a ribbon that you put one twist in and then put back together, if you followed the outside of it with your finger and kept your finger on it the whole way around, you'd eventually find yourself on the inside of it, and then you'd eventually find yourself back on the outside of it. So the inner becomes the outer, and the outer becomes the inner without any detachment from that object, right? That's what a Mobius band is. Um, In Laban, we call that a lemnus gate. It's the same thing, right? It's something where the inside is inherent in the outside, and the outside is inherent in the inside. So these things that sound like binaries, like opposites, right? Inner, outer, except that there is no inner without an outer. Right. There is no outer without an inner, right? Um, So um, we talk about... So stability mobility is one of the big things that we talk about in Bartania Fundamentals. Um, stability requires mobility. So, so the way bridges are built to move a little bit, right. to make them more stable, right? The more rigid something is, actually, the less stable it is. And we think of like, oh, it's solid, it's stable. No, it's actually mobile, it's stable. And we know sort of from being alive that the more adaptable we are, the more negotiable we are, the more we can like bend and flow with life's changes, actually the more stable we are in our own lives. The more rigid we are, the more self-righteous, the more nothing can change, everything has to go a certain way, the more things will fail for us, right? <laughs> and this is true of our bodies too. So if you imagine like standing on the floor and like gripping all your muscles and trying to stay in one place, somebody could knock you over actually really easily. If you imagine like a little bit of bend to the knee and the ankle and the hip, a little bit of sway to the pelvis, a little bit of dynamic alignment, breathing through the organs, having the back body and the front body like negotiable, being in a little bit of a sway. Yeah. yeah, and somebody comes and tries to push you. Oh, mm, that didn't work, right? Right. Oh, you get a little yeah. movement, but you don't actually yeah. lose your place right. in space. Which is similar yeah. to how like Tai Chi relates to stability and mobility. Yeah which is um, a tuning into the fact that we are always in motion and we are always in change, right? Mm-hmm. And to change is actually to be alive, right? Every breath changes us, every heartbeat changes us, and that is an act of being alive. So um, in Bartania Fundamentals, a lot of times we look at this lemnus gate or relationship between how s- what needs to stabilize in order for something else to mobilize, what part of the stability requires a kind of mobility. So if we press down on the foot, does the top of the thigh bone or the femoral head have to move a little bit in the acetabulum or the hip socket, right? So if we press down on that foot and we try to kind of jam that top of thigh bone into the hip cup, we're going to be less stable than if we let that pelvis ride a little bit, have a little bit of breath on top of the thigh. Right? So if that relationship has some more dynamicism to it, we're actually going to find more grounding in the feet. right? And if we 
um, make everything really rigid and static. We're actually going to find a lot less stability. And then we go to try to take a foot off the floor, say, to do a passe or something like that, and we find we don't have balance. And that hip hikes up to try to balance us, and then the shoulder goes over to try to rebalance us, and the head just forward. And all of a sudden, we're like, that doesn't feel good. <laughs> Dancing doesn't feel good. <laughs> so how could it feel good? Dynamic alignment and finding the mobility inside stability. And then also, if we're not stable, we can't be mobile. So anyone that's ever tried to take off for like a big jeté or do a bunch of turns knows that the moment before you take off is this incredible like stabilizing moment. If you don't get a good grounding on that foot that's on the ground before you take off with the other leg, you're not going to get much of like, a jump. Imagine trying to take off for a jump on a floor that's greased with butter. Right. That jump's not going to be impressive right. that, versus that's, that having a sneaker last, on the ground. That last foot on the floor has to be so stable in order for you to find the most mobility. Same thing with, say, a turn, right? That moment before you take off is the stabilizing moment for you to create this great mobility. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of what we look at is this like very dynamic uh, functional relationship between stability and mobility and how both are always present all the time in everything that we do. So I like to look at the mobility inside stability and the stability inside mobility and figuring out like what needs to ground, why is that hurting, your movement is um, a little disconnected or disjointed, what needs to find the floor, what needs to find a base of support, what's the relationship between the base of support and the center of gravity, base of support being the thing that's going to have the most contact with the floor and gravity. And then center of gravity, and these could be different objects. So, right, normally, standing on feet, base of support feet, center of gravity is going to be your pelvis. Standing on hands, base of support hands, center of gravity is going to be something more like your shoulder girdle or your chest, right? Mm -hmm. Center of levity. Um, And we can stand on other things, right? right? So the center of gravity in relationship to the base of support is going to change based on our relationship to gravity and our architecture. I have a this um, going in a slightly different, taking this into a different direction. I'm wondering. I want to talk about how you then see all of this um, integrating into dance class because um, I know, like I do a lot of somatic practices with students, and I have certain philosophies about how we bridge into dance. And you've talked about dance, and I talk about that a lot as well. Dance is a really complicated context. I also heard this research recently. Not recently. It was a couple of years ago. <laughs> that might interest you, which is um, that an internal sense of focus is very debilitating for motor skills. So um, if you actually want to, um, when you want to shift your weight to one leg, that thinking about the hip socket, the internal experience, actually makes that task less likely to succeed and that you're better off saying in that moment, look to the corner or foot to the ground or something that incorporates an external focus, whether that's, you know, places in the room or even the music. So I, you know, and and I don't think that's a problem. Like, I don't think that that negates the value of the work that we do in somatics, but I think it's something 
That's you know. actually, you've just described Bertania fundamentals. Okay. So if you remember what I was talking about, about that weight shift, I was talking about the opposite foot pushing into the floor so that we could float up the mm-hmm. next leg, yep. right? And how that weight shift needs to happen in relation to the floor. All of Bartania fundamentals is about the body's relationship to the environment. Cool. So dissimilar to some somatic practices that are very much about the container of the body being mm-hmm. the beginning and the end of the awareness, Bart- and there's nothing wrong with that, Bartania fundamentals is only about the body as it changes in space, as it relates to the environment. So spatial intent is one of her most important tenets. Um, what is spatial intent? Spatial intent is just what you said. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you gave an example. Look to the corner or push into the floor. So spatial intent is looking or feeling some spot in space and intending our body towards or away from that, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. using our environment, our spatial environment, as the resource to compel or repel us away or towards something. Um Grounding is spatial intent. Reaching is spatial intent. So yield and push, reach and pull, those are developmental movement ideas. Uh Um, But they're also ideas of spatial intent. And they happen naturally, right? We have uh, an immediate instinct once babies come out of the tiny little cocoon of kind of blindness (laughs) that they're born into, right? But, you know, a couple months later as they start motoring... Everything is about the environment. Now, the environment might be mom or dad, uh-huh. but uh, a lot of times the environment is the room or an object. And pretty much every motor skill that babies uh, learn is inspired by a relationship to the environment. I want to get to that thing, mm-hmm. and I learn to crawl. Yeah, I want to reach that thing, so I learn to stand. They don't do it in a vacuum. They do it in relation to their environment and wanting something mm-hmm. and the wanting of things it's not as materialistic as it <laughs> might sound the wanting of things is uh is also about bonding and bonding's about survival right right so the thing they want most is safety their and well-being yeah. and existence and the reason why they learn to get to things is to be able to get to their parents who help mm-hmm. them survive so mm-hmm. there is a kind of animal uh, instinct relationship. Yeah, that's great. Um, and I think, you know, one thing I'm working on a lot with students is the idea of like, the other thing about dance class is, you know, as dancers, we spend so much time there <laughs> and we don't have a lot of space for self-practice. Even if you look at dancers' schedules, mm-hmm. they're, you know, at a conservatory, they're like chock yeah. full of class, 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 yeah. class, class. Rehearsal, rehearsal, rehearsal. There's so little time to just work alone, you know? And so while relating to the environment and having this external focus is sort of necessary at the end, sometimes it's important to stop and slow down and look inside and spend some time there and then practice going back out and then go back in, like you're saying in the Mobius strip, out and in and out and in. And I would posit that it's possible that those don't need to even be that much of a binary, that Uh there is the possibility that the awareness of the inner and the outer can coexist in a single sensation. So my body and this space and my real sensing 
okay. of both things. That it's not outer or inner. Mm-hmm. But, and it's not moving quickly. And it can be. It can be just inner. It can be just outer. And it can be moving quickly between them. But is it possible to kind of airdrop into that sweet spot where you are really fully aware, I'm doing it right now as I'm talking to you, <laughs> of the, the inner sensation of your body and the environment? Um, and I'm... You know, you could call it multitasking, but I actually just feel like what it is is um, becoming more three-dimensional in my my sensation of my world, right? So as I'm talking to you and thinking about this, and I'm feeling my foot in the floor, I'm feeling my pelvis on this bench, and I'm feeling the table underneath my arms, but I'm also feeling my breath, and I'm seeing you, and I feel the proximity from you, and I see the light on you, and... These things are all coexisting in my like sensate life. So I feel very enlivened and present right now. Mm-hmm. Now, if I had to do a set sequence of choreography, could I keep this amount of awareness? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I doubt it. Until I knew it really well. Yeah, and then maybe once I knew it really well, if I had um, practiced this and I had a skill set around knowing where to find this focus and where to find this awareness... I think I could drop it into movement once the movement becomes clear to me. But this is a practicable skill. Exactly. That requires practice. As and, skills do. Mm-hmm. That's what right. skills are it by is, definition. They're things that you acquire through practice. Exactly. So The way that anything that requires dexterity or focus, the way that playing, I'm learning to play the guitar, your guitar. Um, <laughs> the way that... Um, you know, learning a language or learning how to knit or crochet, right? You start and you feel like a dork. (laughs) And, you know, two years later, you're sitting on your couch teaching somebody how to knit and it feels like a no-brainer and they're looking at you like... what goes under, where, over, where, what? How I can't, my I can't fingers ever the thing. figure this out. Yeah. And then, you know, synaptic pathways get developed and they right. get, you know, strong. And this is the same thing. This is a neurological... Skill. Yeah, skill and habit, yeah. And if we practice it enough, we can use it whenever we want. And we can use it um, sitting, giving an interview at your dining room table, but you can also use it like with a sequence of choreography that you know really well. I mean, I certainly drop into pretty deep somatic awareness sometimes when I'm teaching, and I don't need 10 minutes of quiet in a dark room with my eyes closed. I can just take one breath in and one breath out, feel my feet, feel my pelvis, feel my organs, and I'm there. And sometimes I need that because I've gotten a little bit outside myself because I'm teaching and I'm concentrating on other bodies and I'm not thinking about myself, and suddenly my my top of hamstring is hurting or my sacrum has gone out of its you know joint a little bit, and I'm like, oh, wait, okay. Tune in, but now I can drop in like that because right. I've done enough time spending an hour and a half really trying to seek, like, where's that sensation? Where is, how can I find myself? And once you know, you know, how you can get to your bathroom in the dark right. from your bedroom right. without having to turn on a light, without probably even having to feel the walls because you know where everything is. Yeah. I, I have a little bit more feeling that I know where most of the things are. And if I want to feel my SI joint, I can feel it right now. Yeah. I don't need to like spend an hour on the floor seeking and pushing and pulling and feeling. Yeah. Um, like you, it's your, your map 
your mental map becomes more and more vivid with practice. Like exactly. when, you, when a new dancer lies down on the floor in a somatic class and they think like, what are we doing? This is so weird. And, and you ask them to feel the back of their pelvis. It's just like, what does that even, I don't yeah. even know what you're talking about. Yeah. And then over time you start to like, now the map has topography yes. and now it has that little tiny river and now it even has like a little tiny stream. and it's the Marauder's map. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, sometimes I'll find myself in a professional dance class and I'll say like, okay, so push down on the inside of your heel bone and you can feel that that goes to your lesser trochanter inside of your thigh bone and then feel that like going diagonally across the pelvis and then cycling up the rib cage. And can you feel that kinetic chain? And I get this look from some dancers like, you're crazy. <laughs> I don't know what, first of all, any of those parts are. Yeah. And second of all, I don't feel them. And third of all, I certainly I don't, don't think feel it's possible. Sunlight. I'm not even There's sure. There's not like a chain between them. I don't know what this kinetic chain is of which you speak, right. but it doesn't exist. And I don't feel it. And I feel dumb. And I don't like this dance class. Yeah. <laughs> and yet then they come back and like, you know, two months later, they're like, oh, yeah, no, the kinetic chain. And then I feel like how my head might wobble Relates from to that my toe. foot going yeah. <laughs> And so a kinetic chain is just a pathway, um, kind of a force through the body where if you, you know, sort of like, what are those, not the domino things, but the things where something knocks into something else and it topples something else uh -huh. over and then that swings a thing and it climbs down the ladder. And, right. Yeah. There's mouse a name. Trap. It's like the game of mouse trap. But there's right. a name for that uh -huh. thing. Um that that great uh, music they make those beautiful music videos off of anyway um, the body is like that right one thing triggers one thing one thing you know every grain of sand changes the whole beach kind yeah, of philosophy yeah. but of course the body is like that so a kinetic chain is where when we put a little bit of force or pressure spatial intent through one body part the next thing up the line will shift and that will shift the next thing up the line and if we can become aware of the isolation of all of those parts, we can push down on the floor and feel how the head might move really organically based on that one pressurization of the foot through the floor. Suddenly we get a head turn and the body is in this like really high functional functionality, but it's also in high expressivity because this is the most like tuned in animal body you can get. And there's something very personal, very expressive about this very universal kind of scientific anatomical awareness, right? So I do really like where the science and the spirit or the science and maybe even call it the soul can interweave. Great. Um, just in closing, let's, let's circle back to the idea of health and wellness, which is our, our theme. Um, and I think we've kind of talked about Injury, I talked about my hamstring, my troublesome hamstring. But also, you know, we've touched on this idea of, like, if you have a headache, you use that example. Like, try, being sensitive and aware of our bodies can help us unpick those physical injuries and ailments. But we also, in our, in our podcast, Dance Well, are talking about this 360-degree view of health and wellness. So it's about psychological health, emotional health, social health. Um, MJ Lederbacher at, at Harkness talks about the biopsychosocial, you know, that injury happens in a biopsychosocial context. And um, so this term of like the whole self. So where do you see, what other things do you see somatics being helpful 
I mean, if we go back to the first, my first definition of somatics, it's just an awareness of the self, right? So that awareness of the self also helps you figure out what your politics are. That awareness of the self helps you figure out how you feel in a a romantic encounter, right? We're going through this whole movement, this, um, a lot of questions are coming up, like uh, when you... Um, feel comfortable or don't feel comfortable in a romantic situation, right? Uh, How do we know if we feel comfortable or don't feel comfortable if we're not used to tuning into the body and sensing ourselves? Um, When a friend says something to you that you feel reactive to, why are you reactive? What, What are you feeling? What is hurting or what makes you uncomfortable? And that is, again, a practicable skill to be self-aware and that self-awareness is not just to get a higher jeté right or more turns in a ballet class that self-awareness is to become the most uh, organic authentic expressive honest human being you can be which will help you in turn to be a more compassionate empathic active participant in a political realm, in a social realm, in an academic realm. It'll help you retain more reading. It'll, you know, because you have gotten yourself into a good position to hold that book, mm-hmm. right? And your shoulder's not ginching up, which is not taking brain space. So your brain space can concentrate on your chemistry mm-hmm. that you're trying to study for your final, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so when we allow the mind-body relationship to function really fluidly and organically, we find ourselves more efficient human beings on every realm. That's great. That's great stopping point, Alexander. Thank you so much for speaking with with us today. Um, And can you share your website with everyone? Sure. You can find me at www.alexandrabellardances.org. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. On behalf of Marissa and myself, Ellie Kushner, I want to say thank you to all of our listeners for joining us on this episode of Dancewell Podcast. Like what you hear? Go to iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud and search Dancewell Podcast to subscribe. We'll be releasing bi-monthly episodes with an emphasis on exploring 360 degrees of health and wellness for dancers. Have questions or want to get in touch? Email us at dancewellpodcast at gmail.com. Bye.